Hey, look, uh, I know we've been in this huge series together, so let's think of this morning as something, now for something completely different. Um, but I did want to make a bit of a link back to some of the things that Martin shared um, last week on hope. He um, left us with this um, message about a powerful sense of hope about our future, and that um, should in turn transform our present reality. So I want to look a little bit today at applying the sense of hopefulness and making sure that that future impacts our present now. He said this great quote, to those who bear hope, bestow hope. And as people of hope, we are called to bring hope. And it's important that we know what this looks like, like Jim was praying on any ordinary day, and not just in that beautiful aspirational win that we hope to have in one of those rare moments when we get everything together. So as followers of Jesus, we carry this hope and we therefore need to live differently, both personally and corporately. So Romans 12 verse 12 outlines this for us really simply. In this part of scripture, Paul encourages us to put our love into action, to give it some wheels. And he says this, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. So our hope is to be marked by joy and not a brace position kind of joy or an anxious sense of foreboding fear, not a holding pattern as we numbly hope to wait out this current drama, but joy, defiant, countercultural, life-giving joy. It's that kind of joy that I want to talk to you about this morning, joy that pushes back a little, joy that confronts, joy that gives and strengthens us and gives us a resolve, the joy from the fruit of the Spirit, the joy that's the sign of the kingdom of God, that thread of creation to salvation and redemption, the call of Jesus over our lives, and the command of Paul from prison in chains. Rejoice, he says in Philippians 4 verse 4, slightly annoyingly because it's very clear and there's no wriggle room. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, we get the hint, rejoice. Not a lot of exegesis needed on that piece of scripture. Not a lot to unpack, really. Just a not-so-subtle reminder, in case it was getting a little too abstract for you. I've chatted about God with this uh, during the Bayview Roadworks, because I thought I would apply for an exemption. Because in that moment, there is no rejoicing in the Lord always. And the people of Bayview said, Amen. Um, and so I thought, you know, was this rather watertight verse possibly not as conclusive as it seemed? And so I repeated the verse to myself and thought, no, there's not a lot of wriggle room. The man was in prison when he wrote it. We'll take it. We get the hint. Take delight. Take ground. Be strong. Be glad. Flourish and live. So I want to hang today's talk on a bit of framework I've borrowed from John Tyson, who I think actually borrowed it from a psychological viewpoint of mental health. So we're sharing. This is kind of a personal checkpoint moment for us. It's an opportunity for a bit of reflection, a bit of a reset, a midway point in our year. And I love a wee bit of a reset. We have our reset, well, no, we. I have our resets on Sunday afternoons. I like to put the whole world back in order, fold the washing, get the groceries, put things back in their places, make the lists, wipe the bench, yell about the calendar, panic about Monday. We have a little bit of a family reset. So here's our family reset this morning. Where are you on this continuum between depression and flourishing? It's a very short continuum on the slide, but it's a very long continuum in reality. And I am happy to use the word depression in our church community because this is a language that we embrace and that we own. And when we need it, we journey through this together. 
So think of this question not just in terms of a daily continuum, because I'm sure you're all over the place as each day goes by, but just overall, where are you sitting most of all between depression and flourishing? And the little X marks the spot in the middle is languishing, and we'll get to that soon. So flourishing means the peak of well-being. So in terms of a definition from a mental health perspective, it's having a sense of meaning, having a sense of mastery, and mattering, which is just a great word to say. And in the middle of all of this, with actual potential to cause more mental health concern than depression, even though we acknowledge that, that is a serious thing, languishing. And I don't mean in a definite kind of lounge pyjamas kind of way with pillows and grapes, but being absolutely stuck and going absolutely nowhere for absolutely no reason in a state of complete stall, pointlessness and purposeless. Languishing means failing to make progress or be successful. Languishing is a state of burnout, stuckness, dulling, with no motivation, tending towards numbness. Adam Grant wrote an article for the New York Times uh, last year, and he stated that languishing may in fact be the dominant emotion left at the end of 2021. After everything we've been through, it was languishing. And I know a lot of us could identify with that. That feeling that we often talk to each other about just feeling a bit blah or a bit mad. And that feeling has lingered even into 2022. There's a residual feeling of languishing. He goes on to say in this article that it's not burnout because we've still got energy. It's not depression because we still have some hope. We just feel joyless and aimless. Languishing is that sense of stagnation and emptiness, as if you're muddling through your days, looking at life through a foggy windshield. And that fogginess and lack of concentration really resonated with me. That listlessness and loss of momentum. And even just not that need for intense anxiety, which I had done really well in uh, through the pandemic and the initial lockdowns. This had given way to a kind of nothingness. And I'm really grateful it has a name. Because I realised at the beginning of this year that I didn't feel like embracing the possibility of a new year. Not with too much hope. Or buoyancy. The prophet Bono, which I'm sure some of you are familiar with, his words rang true. Nothing changes on New Year's Day. And it felt a little bit too much like deja vu, and I didn't tr quite trust it that 2022 would go well. I had arrived at the conclusion that there's been far too much adaptability required for people like me, and I don't know how many times you can pivot on a pivot while pivoting and still not get into an utter tangle. But the most concerning part of this languishing, the real danger the research noted, is it says these words, and they jumped out to me. You might not notice the dulling of delight. You might not notice the dulling of delight. And this should be a huge concern for us, because this dulling can seep into who we are as a people. We're called as followers of Jesus to be flourishers in terms of love, and joy, and peace, and hope, and life, and community. We here choose joy, and the awkwardness that goes along with it every Sunday. And this is easily reflected in the live stream pre-service buzz. I'm so privileged to be able to catch up on church every Sunday by watching the full live stream and not just the sermon. 
and there is so much noise before the service starts. It's indiscriminate noise, so I haven't heard what you're leaning over and talking to each other about, but it's conversation and laughter and outbursts and something I can't quite detect, but it's lovely. It feels like home. It's also the willingness of people in this building to serve and be great company for each other, even though it's very early in the morning. It's the movement across the hall that you can watch from the video when people go across and talk to each other. It's meal rosters being filled during the week. It's pyjamas being dropped off in buckets. It's the fact that we have to have an actual countdown to be quietened before the service because you guys will talk to each other so much. It's all those little knowing looks we give each other when we serve out and kids and children share beautifully honest things from home. <laughs> Just so you know. <laughs> and it's the fact that every week we strange people open up our homes to equally strange people and hang out together on purpose. It's also our leadership meetings being gratefully interrupted by Blue the puppy and Pringles. And it's all those moments in between we are called to be a people of joy who actually enjoy life. And Jesus explains his purpose in John 10.10. 10, the thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come, Jesus says, that they may have life and have it to its full. That is on offer for you. And many times we don't live in that life, let alone the fullness of it. It is a languishing that steals from us, that can hold us, that drains us. Defiant joy is found in a life to the full, a rich and satisfying life. It is flourishing joy, not languishing. You can feel alive and not dull, hopeful and outward, not stagnant and down. And Jesus came to usher in that kind of kingdom. Paul defines it in Romans 14 as one of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And I love those little words, you know, from John 10, 10, it's that, that they may have, just two little words, may have. Or in the verse I just read from Romans, it's in the. This rich life is on offer, you may have it. It is found in the Holy Spirit. So what would this look like for you? How will you take hold of it and be a part of it and move yourself a little bit away along the continuum? For me, it was a gentle push of God, gentle nudge, to reposition myself and move from a bracing, just a feeling that had crept over me over the summer to the beginning of this year of just thinking, okay, 2022, I'm up for you, go. But it's not a joyful feeling, it was just a brace position. And it just pushed me into finding joy, the joy of the Lord that Nehemiah proclaims that would become my strength. But I needed this joy to have a little more gumption a little more sass. I had to follow a path that was defiant and just as stubborn as the languishing around me and in my own stuck thinking. I wasn't happiness that I needed. It wasn't a pull up your socks and do better talk. I can do those any day of the week. I can't fake it and I can't tidy it up well. I need joy that would be embedded in me, something to fill all those gaps that I had left over on the inside after a series of hard years. I needed joy that would bring back my wonder and my hope and my warmth and even the odd spontaneous smile. So I looked for it with the fluency of someone trying to learn a language backwards or a, a blind, <laughs> blind novice bird watcher, just an actual inability to know what I was doing. But I wanted to look for the joy that was just on offer. I wanted to write it down, what I noticed, 
And it felt awkward and it felt mechanical and it felt a bit cheesy, but I actually got the hang of it. I found joy in library books. I made a decision to read some really good non-intellectual, non-theological, lightweight novels of a certain noir kind of flavour, especially after a year of theological study. There is a noir called Outback Australian Noir, in which terrible things happen and people get lost in songs, but it's excellent. <laughs> Therein, I found joy. It meant swimming at Mahia. It meant eating souvlakis in Christchurch, and if you are from Christchurch, then you know. It meant looking at little faces of Suffolk sheep. Now, I'm not a farm girl, and you will not find me in the countryside, but these are the cutest little faces, and they are so joy-enticing for me. They belong in a storybook, like someone smudged them onto their little faces. They are the gift that keeps on giving. Uh, I find joy in dry washing. The whole process of it drying. I find joy in cooking un in uninterrupted, like I'm doing my own TV show. I find joy in hanging out with my bay kids, actually. I find joy in particular Earl Grey tea leaves, not the bag, but the leaves. I find joy in being the first person, and it's a tough competition in my house for those of us who have hair, but being the first person to open the unopened new shampoo. Receive it loud and clear in that back corner. Uh, I find joy in clear starry nights when I remember to look up. I find joy in Caspian's music teacher's pristine 1908 beautiful house, which I had a little accidental look off while I was dropping him off. I find joy in embracing girly nail polish. It's very new for me. I find joy in the total exhilaration of Wordle, only when it works, and I get a really good competitive three, because as I've already discussed with someone this morning, it was bad yesterday, and I haven't got there yet, just in case I lost my joy. And I like babies. And I like rain when it's really hot in the evening. And this cool thing that kayakers do that I never knew existed called buffing off a riverbank where they just go off a riverbank straight into white water. Happened north of Rotorua this last holidays and I thought it was the most fantastic thing I'd ever seen. So this is my joy list. It actually exists. And it goes on and on and on. There are very strange things in there, but it's just a record. They're not contrived or staged or very fanciful, but they're just a slow retraining and choosing what I'm going to focus on. I keep a list, that part's not compulsory, um, it's not the ultimate answer to joy, and it's not that revolutionary if you know me, I keep lists for everything. But I am learning to see joy, and I'm learning to teach myself to be intentional about the richness on life that is offered to me, that I get to partake in. And I let myself notice it. And I let myself be surprised by it. And I'm just trying to feel it. I'm not naturally wired this way. And it's important I let you know that because this is not a personality-dependent joy. You don't have to have success with joy by being a total extrovert. You can have joy any which way it works for you. The joy of the Lord is your strength. It's available to you. So in theory, ask for the strength and sort out the details of what that looks like as you go. But be aware of those things that you can sell yourself short on joy. Feeling like joy is a bit unnecessary, which is a wee bit silly, you know, for the kids. Bit of joy just for the kids, not for the grown-ups. Or that it just doesn't apply to someone like you because you're maybe a wee bit more of an Eeyore. So joyful, though, Eeyores, just deep. Um, you may think it's a wee bit conditional, like if I get all the ducks in a row and we get everything done and all the kids are actually in school and then I get a little bit of space for myself, there's my joy. Well, that's getting more elusive as the season goes on. Or maybe you haven't even given yourself permission that you're someone who's allowed to have this life that has been offered. 
whatever the obstacle, whatever the self-imposed limit, whatever the resistance, be encouraged from these words from Psalm 34. I prayed to the Lord and he answered me. I mean, it's pretty good so far. He freed me from all my fears. Those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. Embracing joy for me has been an inner strengthening work, a continued process in the art of letting go, in facing things honestly, in putting some things down so I can pick other things up, in actually feeling a bit lost, in having to grieve, to readjust, to learn to rest again, to be still within myself, to know that I'm loved and to feel his provision, to reach out to others, to be kind to myself and others to change my lens, to be present, to practice gratitude, to feel content. It's been a lot. And it's been less dignified than I hoped, and less spectacular than I thought it would be. I'm an impatient work of change. Things didn't magically happen to me as they did for Mary Poppins, and most of the time I feel a bit grumpy about that. But this has had to be a combination of sitting back, but also being bravely intentional as well. The last time I had sewing lessons, I was 11 years old, and it was compulsory. It was part of home economics, and I was clearly, from early on, not a natural. I spent most of the lesson trying to thread the actual needle, got in trouble for talking about the fact that I couldn't thread the needle, and then I didn't enjoy it, so in my very true and right way, I decided the best option then was to re remove myself completely from that world. I was going to completely mock anyone, Amy Munda, who was into any kind of crafting hobby and embrace a life of not having, hobby, having hobbies. I have the tendency to swing back when I make a decision. And I was a young mum in a very scary era knowing of scrapbooking craft groups. And they scared me. And so I stayed away from them. And it was not a world I wanted to be part of. I decided work would be my time and my spare time and my hobby. But all this talk we've been doing of rest and margin and Sabbath delight stacking has resurfaced some feelings that are not resolved some nearly 40 years later. And it took a process for me to bravely acknowledge that this was something maybe I did want to learn and I had a little sneaky feeling I might quite like it. Not scrapbooking, to be clear, and bless you all for giving that a go, I'm talking about sewing. So I consulted Pinterest, which my husband put me onto, and unearthed my stash of vintage tea towels because I have been a closet collector and not quite sure what to do with them. And then I took most of the beginning of the year to form a message to send to Nan, to say, please Nan, could you teach me how to sew? Please, if that would be okay. And so it began. And the joy has been utterly tangible. I felt joy when I bought scissors. I bought two pairs, small ones, because you need to do small things and big ones for doing big ones. Although Nan has this really cool roller thing that would take your fingers off, and it's very exciting when we get to use that. And I bought weird $2 shop glasses just like Nan's. Not Nan's current ones, but the ones you just wear for crafting, so that you can actually see all the needles and all the threads. That was quite exciting too. I had a long chat with the lady in the $2 shop that these were going to be my sewing glasses. And um, I had said they had to look just like Nan's. And then in that very first moment, when suddenly and miraculously, I had made not one, but two practice handles for a bag. My eventual practice bag. 
I actually felt utterly and completely ridiculously joyful. I accidentally broke my rules and hugged Nan. I over-exuberantly showed the handles to Phil, who responded quite well for not being a sewer. And I Skyped my parents for show and tell, held up these two handles that were not yet joined to a bag. You might have mistook them as strips of material, but they were handles of a practice bag. And I shared them with them. I did show and tell at the dinner table, gave a little preamble that my family would know this is very significant, what was happening. And I have found the utter joy of making and creating that I excluded myself from a long time ago to just give me a real sense of absolute joy and freedom. And I have been able to defiantly say back to that stubborn 11 year old that her fear of failure and her ability to stick her chin out and decide she was not gonna do certain things in order to carry some sense of pride was perhaps a little mistaken. And I have so enjoyed and loved it. We've just finished bag number three. I can actually only sew with Nan very near me. I'm not an independent sewer. I dutifully take the machine home and thread it up, not as long as it used to take, but because of my special glasses. But I can only really cope with a hovering Nan in order to feel the full release of my ability. It's very connected. <laughs> But our little sewing room just feels full of so much joy and Nan on the side is teaching me very joyous Scottish sayings and I feel very, very fortunate because as you all know, the world offers us happiness. It tries really hard. It gives it a really good go. We swim in a culture that offers us all sorts of answers, a total pursuit of dissatisfaction and yet it will always be temporary, always be fleeting, always be circumstantial but it is possible momentarily. It is available, it doesn't contain the sustaining power of flourishing, and it will always loop you back to languishing. But um, it is built, unfortunately, on just intricate layers of conditions and striving that the gift of the spirit is not. Our culture is addicted to this cult of being happy, of getting what you want, how you want, when you want, causing a constant conflict of everyone's competing desires. Defiant joy defies external circumstances, and it looks for the wonder. Defiant joy is the path of life. It can't be hustled or made into a virtue pursuit. It can't be politicised, it's not manipulatable, and it's not controllable. Defiant joy is concrete, solid, present, grounded joy. There's a very well-known series of uh, verses that I remember singing as a child. It must have been a scripture and song, song from... I love how the Americans say it's Habakkuk, just Habakkuk for us Kiwis. From Habakkuk, chapter 3, um, and the words are this, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Saviour. The Sovereign Lord is my strength, he makes my feet like the feet of deer, and enables me to tread on the heights. I am in awe of the words, yet will I. That is defiant joy. Despite no blossom, no tangible hope, no fruit, no outcomes, no stock, no livelihood, and a strong sense that the world's almost falling apart, yet will I. Despite my circumstances, yet will I. In defiance of everything you see around you, the loss, the lack, the grief, yet will I. In the face of culture and uncertainty and languishing, yet will I. 
Habakkuk is a book of lament. Similar to the Psalms, it's a series of prayers addressed very personally to God. And here he is wrestling with struggling to see the goodness of God when he feels like he's surrounded by so much bad stuff. Sounds very familiar. In these moments, he pours it out and he chooses trust and joy. Yet will I. His sense of joy is not connected to his circumstances. His ducks are not necessarily in a row. His satisfaction and his outcomes and his happiness is not the thing that's anchoring his trust. His hope is in God's promises and knowing the strength that comes from God. Yet will I. So do not be mistaken in thinking that joy is superficial and light and fluffy like very nice icing on a cake. It has weight to it. It is strong. It is biblically commanded and modelled and found in God alone. It is not mere positivity. It's not naivety. It's not having to wake up every morning and jolly well looking on the bright side. It is joy that strengthens us and helps us to let go. It's joy that unlocks our hearts and fills our inside gaps. It's joy that's also wonderfully transmittable. It's actually joy to others and joy for others. Joy deepens us with compassion for others and connection to others. We flourish in community. We are nourished in community. We find joy in community. And I understand we also find a lot of things to annoy us in community. But it's helpful to be in community because then we're not alone. And we're not as able to pull back. And if we do shrink back, someone might notice. I'm surprised and grateful every Sunday, regardless of how I'm feeling, at the level of joy that routinely increases for me when I'm at church. Despite the time of the morning and the list of tasks and the setup and the rain and the stress, joy triumphs. Joy is designed to keep us hopeful and thankful and in community. It's not a solo task. We need each other and we need God. We need to take the defiant stand, the yet will I in the midst of the storm, not after the storm or without the storm altogether. We need to be people who are marked by defiant joy. My prayer is that in our yearning for more, we would be propelled back to the one who loves us and sees us. May we in spending time with him share in his joy and may we bring this joy to others finding ourselves part of a defiantly joyful community, both as a witness and as a relief to those around us. May we courageously take up sewing lessons against the odds and laugh out loud at nostalgic movies and smile far too much at other people's babies in supermarkets. In our pursuit of joy, I would encourage you with this. You need to establish a baseline of honesty with God in your quiet times first. John Tyson's wisdom is this, he can't transform who you're pretending to be. Joy is an invitation to come to him just as you are, Eeyore or Tigger. I'd really love to pray uh, the words of Romans 15 verse 13 over you. I'd love you to stand as I pray these words. I pray that God... The source of hope will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. We have this practice in um, Bay Kids and Team Bay Junior at the moment of repeating things and being a bit louder. So I'm going to go another round. 
I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me pray for you as you stay standing. God, I thank you for your invitation to joy, your command to joy, your encouragement to joy, your capacity to provide joy for even the most grumpy and reticent of us. God, I thank you that you call us to flourishing. You call us out of languishing. You speak to the numbness and the overwhelmed feelings, particularly these last few years, and call us back into life in all its fullness. God, I just thank you that even though there is times that we have felt stolen from, we have felt that we have had the enemy coming against us, Lord, that you continue to say, I came to bring life in all its fullness. I thank you for the joy that is in our community, God, the joy that exists already in everything that makes up who we are at Bay Vineyard. God, I just thank you that we are called to be people marked by defiant joy. And God, I just pray for people this morning who know of those things that steal joy in their life, Lord, who know where they're putting their energies or letting themselves be defined by shame or anxiety or overthinking or just that comfortable numbing out, God. God, I speak into those areas where there has been joy stolen from them. And Lord, I just thank you that you continue to provide radiant joy. You take away our shame and our fear. You increase our hope and you bring joy to us. God, I just pray that again we would be people known as being marked by joy and we would be able to have authentic conversations with you about where we're at. That we would be able to be honest and tell you what we need in terms of our joy. Thank you, Lord. You may be seated. I wanted to leave space this morning for um, some ministry time because this has been, I am squashing into six months of, of processing that I have um, really been enjoying. Sometimes it's hard, <laughs> but God working through. And I wanted to just make some space this morning if people would like prayer uh, for more joy in their life, for moving along that continuum. There's not a, a magic answer in terms of if you think you go out and start sewing bags and writing lists and talking to babies in supermarkets. But there'll be something for you that just helps you notice. There'll be something between that, prioritising something and just seeing things and seeing that joy. But I'd like to make some space this morning for people who'd like um, prayer for just needing what was lost already in their lives.